Uh, today's reading is taken from page 1088. It's John 19, verses 16 to 27. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but, this, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. With the undergarment remaining, this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothes. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple who he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Amen. As many of you know, it's a year since Maureen Buchanan died, and today we're going to pray for her family and give thanks to God for her life. Um, I know as a church I wasn't with you when Maureen died, but I know it made a deep impact on many of you. And today it's appropriate and right that we pray for Maureen's family and give thanks for her life. So let's join together in prayer. Father God, with every passing day and even week, there seems to be more and more violence in the news, more random public attacks on people and places. And Father, our prayer is again that you would draw near to those families and friends who lost loved ones in Stockholm this week. We pray that you'll draw near to those children and adults suffering from suspected chemical attacks in Syria. And Father, our hope is in the fact that one day there will be justice as Jesus comes as Lord to judge and put right what is wrong. Father, our hope is that sword and famine and all that is evil will be put away because the Prince of Peace will reign once and for all, and the earth will be filled with his glory. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Father, as a congregation today, we pray for Maureen Buchanan's family. We ask for Peter and Kate, for Lynn and John, for her grandchildren, Jonathan and Holly. Father, as they especially this week remember their mum and grandmother, we pray as their hearts still grieve and mourn that you will give them much joy as they remember Maureen. We thank you for her life. 
We thank you for the legacy of her Christian life and witness in this church, this community, and amongst her family and friends. And we thank you that she brought much glory to Jesus. Lord, we continue to pray for Rosemary and Margaret and Belle as they recover, as they mourn and remember mourning too. And as a church, bind us together in the unity of your spirit that we may be a people who rely more and more on the grace and love of Christ. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Father, we thank you today that you're a God who cares for each and every one of us. And Father, we bring before you those who carry burdens which are silent, which no one else knows about. We pray for those going through treatment. We pray, Lord, for those who've lost loved ones. And Father, we pray for each and every one sitting beside us that, Lord, you will give them the grace and mercy to rely on Jesus, to keep their eyes fixed on him. And may, Father, you give them that sustaining grace to keep going and comfort them with your presence and love, we pray. Father God, as we begin Holy Week this week with our brothers and sisters in the Methodist and Church of Ireland, we pray for Brian Anderson as he finalizes his talks on the life of Peter in the Gospels. We pray that each evening as we meet that your presence will be with us, and we ask that there will be an amazing sense of you being amongst us as we look at the truth that God himself became flesh, that he lived and died and he rose again. Bless this week to each of us and may Good Friday and Easter Sunday particularly warm our hearts again of the good news of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Father, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Yes, it's a bit strange on Palm Sunday to be dealing with events that happened after Palm Sunday. Damien's already pointed that out. And a few weeks ago on Palm Sunday, somebody said to me uh, as he left, uh, this isn't Palm Sunday, but there was reference to it today. Uh, and he couldn't quite get his head round that. Why do we do that? We, we're doing this today and now are on uh, John chapter 19, the second half of it, and you'll find it helpful to keep the text open. We're doing it because there is so much going on during what we call Holy Week that if we're to deal with it, in a, a, a detailed way, ending up with on Easter Sunday the message of the resurrection, then, and I hope my light hasn't gone out, uh, <laughs> if we do that on Easter Day, then we have to start earlier, a few Sundays back with Palm Sunday. John, like the other gospel writers, gives us many details of that week, the last week of our Lord's human existence. But he, he doesn't give us everything. None of the gospel writers give us everything. But in chapter 18, in the first half of chapter 19, we have Jesus betrayed and arrested, questioned by the high priest and then by Pilate, Pilate wanting to release Jesus and 
the Jewish crowd and leadership demanding our Lord's crucifixion. And so we reach where our study begins today, which is the uh, verse 16 of John 19. And we read, finally, Pilate handled, handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. And then there's something rather strange in John's account. As Damien would say, would you look at it, please, referring to the text. Look at these next uh, two verses. And then these next two verses, you get a thumbnail sketch of the events of the crucifixion. They're, they're really compressed. Let me read them again. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Now, what about Simon of Cyrene? Who was Simon of Cyrene? Don't you remember? John says, carrying his own cross, he did, but not the whole way. He stumbled, he was so weak he couldn't, and Simon of Cyrene, a bystander up from the country, was nabbed, and he was forced to carry our Lord's cross uh, on to the place of execution. Nothing of Simon of Cyrene here. Uh, nothing of when Jesus was on the cross, the mockery, the abuse, the slander, the jeering from the crowd and from the Jewish leaders. Nothing of the, the, the two uh, on either side are mentioned in these verses, but nothing on the penitent thief. John has abbreviated the final events surrounding the crucifixion. Why? Because he wanted to focus on three particular things, and that's what I'll be dealing with uh, this morning, from verse 19 on to uh, verse 27. Three specific things, and what were they? He wanted space so that he could concentrate on them. The other events were well known. John wanted to focus on these. And what were the three elements? Well, the notice on the top of the cross, the soldiers at the foot of the cross, and the woman and Mary not far from the cross. The first two are mentioned in the other Gospels, but John wants to give us more details and explain more the significance of them. And the third, well, if we didn't have this passage, we would know nothing about it. Now, as we turn to these, let's seek the Lord's help. Let us pray. Lord, each time we turn to Holy Scripture, take it upon our lips 
We are handling holy things, and none more holy than these passages which describe the final days of our Lord's life, his humiliation, his crucifixion, and his glorious resurrection and exaltation. So, Lord, may we not trifle with these passages, but through them, by your Spirit, see more of your love, your grace, your mercy, your perfect sacrifice for us, your love for the whole world. And may we give you the glory, the honor, the praise, which is your due through Christ our Lord. Amen. So, we turn to verse 19. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. When I was preparing uh, during the week, uh, and many will have difficulty believing this, but I can get on to the internet and look at pictures and things, uh, There was a picture of, I think it was a man, who was covered in feathers. Now, it it wasn't a chicken suit he had on. Uh, I think it was a man because there were so many feathers on his face, you couldn't be absolutely sure. But around his neck was a a placard which uh, said this in fairly uh, basic uh, handwritten print, said, I am a drug-dealing scumbag. This was a picture taking us back to the bad old days of the Troubles, particularly in the early years, in the 70s, uh, when uh, men and, more often, women were tarred and feathered. They were, usually it was for consorting with British soldiers, but for other reasons like drug dealing. They were humiliated and punished by having oil or something poured over them, having feathers shaken over them, and being tied to lampposts and that kind of thing. The bad old days. It was a punishment and it was a very rough kind of humiliation. Now, the cross was those two things. It was a punishment, execution, a very cruel execution. It was a humiliation because normally the victim was stripped naked and just left in agony, sometimes for days. Occasionally the Romans, recognizing the sensitivities of the Jews to nudity, 
uh, would have allowed uh, the, the victim to wear a kind of loincloth, which is normally the way our Lord is portrayed on the cross. But he may have been absolutely naked. We don't know. But he was definitely being humiliated. And it was a warning. That's why it was so public. It was a warning to everybody else. I think about the notice on the cross. The notice on the cross said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Why was he being crucified? It, because he was guilty of sedition. As the uh, leaders of the, of the community had said, we have no king but Caesar. And Jesus was claiming to be king, and Pilate had him crucified. It was a humiliation. But it, 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 it showed a, a, an interesting thing on, on the relationship between Pilate and the religious leaders. Last week, uh, Damien was mentioned the irony which we find in John's gospel. And there's, there's real irony here. Because what did we see? Well, Pilate and the Jews didn't really get on. In fact, Pilate found the Jews, to put it no stronger, very irksome. He was in control. He was the governor. He had absolute power over life and death of everyone in his province. And yet, these strange, troublesome Jews, they wouldn't even go into his palace on this particular day, a holy day, he had to go out to them. My, that stuck in his craw. But he accepted that he had to go out to them because if he didn't, it would be, there could be another riot. And the Romans didn't like riots because they were expensive. Soldiers had to be called out, all of that. And there was a bit of blood. He didn't mind the blood, but he didn't want to be noticed by his higher authorities. He'd been noticed before, and he needed to be careful. So he had to go out to them. And then worse, he wanted to release Jesus. Jesus was a very strange, unusual kind of convict. He was totally surprised in his interviews with him. He wanted to release him. And then what happened? They humiliated him in public. They said, if you release him, you are not Caesar's friend. Well, now, he couldn't let that one go by. And so he said, right. And he climbed down. And it wasn't easy to climb down. And he handed him over to be crucified. But then when he came to write the charge on 
the notice, the placard, however we describe it. He put the king of the Jews. And they said, no, no, you've got to change it. He said, why? Why do I have to change it? They said, he said he was the king of the Jews. And he said, what I have written, I have written. Now, can't you see the irony here? Here you have someone who, who asked Jesus in the course of their interview, what is truth? And now he, the one who didn't know what truth was, by putting the king of the Jews above the cross, is proclaiming the truth about who Jesus really is. A Roman high official who didn't know the truth. Now that's upside down. And also upside down are the Jewish leaders who were looking forward to the coming Messiah, who, who had the scriptures, and they are saying, crucify him. He's not the king. He just claimed to be the king. It's all upside down. Heavy irony here. And notice a, a detail which uh, we don't get in the, the other uh, gospel narratives. The detail that the writing was in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. Aramaic was the, let's call it a dialect of Hebrew, uh, that, the, that the locals understood. It was the local language. Latin was the language of the empire. The soldiers understood it wherever they came from and any Roman officials and other dignitaries. And Greek? Greek was like English. It was the universal commercial language. If there had been any traders from Spain who were taking their wares to Iraq from one end of the empire to the other, they would have understood it. And any Iraqi, Parthian, Syrian traders taking uh, their goods in the other direction, they would have understood it. Here we see the universal relevance of the cross. And who's pointing it out? Pilate of all people. And John thinks that that is something that needs to be said when we think of mission in the Gospels, we normally go to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. And why shouldn't you? It's a, it, it's a good place to go. Or sometimes to some of the, the, the incidents related by Luke, and then on to his second volume in Acts. We don't normally go to John's Gospel. But the universal message of the gospel, application of the, of the cross and the ministry of Jesus came, comes through again and again in John's gospel. Let me just point out a few things. John tells us that John the Baptist at, at 
our Lord's baptism said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John tells us at the end of the interview with Nicodemus that God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. John tells us of his long interview with the Samaritan woman. And then when she goes back to her own people, they come and they meet Jesus. And what do they say at the end of of John 4? Now we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. And that phrase, the Savior of the world, is only found once in John 4 and once in 1 John 4. Nowhere else that phrase, the Savior of the world. In John chapter 12, remember, Jesus had been saying as people tried to urge him to move on that his hour hadn't come. And in John chapter 12, when Greeks arrive wanting to see Jesus and his disciples tell him, he said, now is the hour. His time had come when the Greeks arrived seeking him. Now is the hour when the Son of Man will be glorified. And then a few verses later he says, and when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Pilate, without knowing it, was proclaiming the gospel when he had that notice nailed to the top of the cross just above Jesus' head. Second uh, incident was the soldiers at the foot of the cross, verses 23 and 24. Now, all four Gospels tell us that they divided his clothes. It was the only perk they had for their rather grisly task of crucifying someone, nailing him and making sure that staying there until he finally died. The perk they got above their, their uh, pay was they could take, divide whatever possessions he had. And what did our Lord have? Well, just his clothes, a belt, and a pair of sandals, nothing else. It was slim pickings. But again, John gives us a detail which we don't find elsewhere. And what's that? The detail is that this fulfilled Scripture. Matthew is the great gospel for seeing Jesus' actions and down to his Jesus' death as being fulfilling Old Testament Scripture. But only John gives us this uh, fulfillment the end of verse uh, 24. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled which said, and now he goes to Psalm 22, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. And then 
an unusual expression. So this is what the soldiers did. But what did they do? They divided his garments by lot and fulfilled Scripture. Here, John is this irony thing again. Who was fulfilling Scripture this time? The soldiers who didn't have a clue about Scripture were fulfilling Scripture. So you have Pilate, if you like, the servant of God, though he wouldn't have dreamt a moment that he was, in proclaiming the universal application of the king of the Jews in three languages. And now you have his common soldiers fulfilling Scripture in what they did. In all of this, what is John saying? He's saying, yes, the Romans, they exercised their authority and their power, and they had Jesus crucified But behind the scenes, who's in control? They don't know what they're doing. Who's in control? God, the Father, is in control. Leading them without knowing it to proclaim the gospel of the King of the Jews, the Savior of the world, fulfilling Scripture, and lastly, in a a, a word, the uh, woman and Mary near the foot of the cross. There's a stage in your life when you make preparations for when it's going to end. Yeah, sorry, but there we are. Uh, You uh, make sure your will is up to date. That's a box we have ticked. Uh, you uh, buy a grave. My brother bought a job lot of six. How he did it, I don't know. I've got one a good bargain. That's two. Uh, three, we are now wondering about... You, you get some... Listen to some of these radio programs and they get a bit squarey about power of attorney. And they tell you horror stories and we're wondering about power of attorney and solicitors here, please don't come pestering me and offering me your services at the end. But there, there are things you have to do just to be ready. It may be tomorrow. It may be decades away. None of us know. That's in higher hands, and we must leave it there. But Jesus, before he could say, it is finished, and his wonderful work of redemption and salvation was complete, he had one thing to do. And what was it? To look after his mother. To look after his mother. To say to his mother, pointing to John, probably the youngest of the apostles who lived quite an age, woman, and it it wasn't a sharp expression, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. Now, people say, well, what about 
Jesus's family. He came from a big family. There were about six of them mentioned in the Gospels. Well, at this stage, John tells us in John chapter 7, even his own brothers did not believe in him. They probably weren't there. Later, some of them at least become believers, but not at this point. So he is looking after his mother. Now, our our Catholic friends can have some rather... uh, How can I describe it? Well, rather fanciful, I think, extravagant interpretations of these verses. It's hard to uh, know how much underlies this. But what it does mean, and can't mean any, any less, though it may not mean any more, is Jesus is taking absolutely seriously his responsibilities within the family. And that's a word for us, perhaps. That's a word for us. And the example of our Lord Soon he would be exclaiming in triumph, it is finished, and giving up the ghost. He thought in the midst of his pain and his agony and his humiliation, he thought of his mother. And we have to think and always think of the vulnerable members of our family, be they young, be they old, perhaps ill, and the vulnerable members of our church family. Jesus did for his family. If you have concerns and burdens, and Damien prayed for people so burdened, what do we get out of this? Well, we get the universal scope of God's love for us all. And among other things, we get, as, as John paints so clearly, I hope, the fact that behind actions, circumstances, sufferings, which fact we, we have so much difficulty in bearing, there is the everlasting truth. Pilate, the soldiers, the Jewish authorities, he is in control. Let us pray. And let the writing at the head of the cross and its significance fill our hearts and minds. The purposes of God being filled through the actions of rough, tough self-serving Roman soldiers. The compassion 
for their vulnerable, even when our Lord was on the point of death. Lord, we bow in awe, in reverence, in wonder. And we pray that you will have more control of our lives and of our wills. that your glory through such weak instruments as us will shine forth. In Jesus' name, amen.